Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to the 17th episode of Season 2 of Warriors Off Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Warriors beat writer Connor Letourneau, and today I'm joined by Warriors sideline reporter Kareth Burke to discuss her career, the challenges of being a woman in sports journalism, and much, much more. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I caught up with Kareth outside the team hotel in Miami on Tuesday afternoon. Kareth, I, uh, I appreciate you joining me. Uh, she, she joined me last minute. Kareth Burke, everyone, just so you know, is one of the nicest people I've ever met in my entire life. And she is the type of person that will, you know, answer, respond to a text message about coming on a pod at the last second and then, you know, join you a couple hours later at her hotel. So, Kareth, I really, I really appreciate you joining me. Thank you. You're one of the good ones. No problem. <laughs> I think... There's there might be a kind of a misconception out there that someone like yourself who's on TV, oh, you know, she didn't have to work to get to that position or didn't necessarily go the traditional route. You know, maybe I don't know what people think, but I'm sure you've had to deal with that stereotype. But the reality is, I know your story. You you were making no money out of college, just like me. You were working in the middle of nowhere, right? And then that's, you know, at one point you had to leave the industry uh, before you, you got this opportunity. Could you kind of just give the Cliff Notes version out there to our listeners who maybe aren't super familiar with your story? Yeah, I graduated from Washington State University and then I climbed the ladder like, like everybody else did. So my first job was in Tri-Cities, Washington. If you know anything about markets, it's like... What's Tri-Cities? I'm from the it's, Northwest, it's three, so I know. It's but. three cities along a river, Pasco, Kennewick, and Richmond. Dust Devils. Yeah, the Dust Devils. Tri-City Dust Devils. Yeah, it's like a, a summer single day, a. single A. Oh, my gosh. I used to cover them. That's right. Um, so those are the days where um, I was covering high school athletics. There was a community college. Those were the days where I was a one-man band. And what that means is I was my own photographer. So I had the big camera on my shoulder. I would go back. I did all the interviews. I'd go back to the station, edit that report, make sure the sound was good, publish it to the web, and then present it. So start to finish, I was responsible for everything. And those are the days where you grind, and it, it can be tough. You're driving all over town, trying to schedule interviews. The deadline is That's tough. That's a thankless job. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but it was great. I learned so much. And I did that for six years at three different shops. So that it really teaches you what the job is, how to interview people. Um, it teaches you your media ethics. It teaches you your best practices. It teaches you to make friends in the business so you can all go out for a beer afterward. Um, I got out of local news because I was having trouble with the camera. Um, 
it's heavy. Is that stupid? But like, it's no. heavy. My back hurts. My neck hurts. I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm glad I have that in my background. Um, but after those small shops, I worked for SNY in New York City. I got to be just a reporter and an anchor so I could focus on my presentation more. And Was it really just about the camera or was it just a better opportunity? Both. Both. Yeah. But I, I'm glad I climbed the ladder to have that opportunity. So SNY was my fourth job. This is my fifth job. Um, I know people think like sometimes I just kind of arrived on the scene and that's okay. I, I, I like the freshness of it all, but I've been in this business for a long time as yeah. a real reporter, yeah. Connor. <laughs> so. You still are a real reporter. <laughs> you know, we all have to deal with off the record situations. I don't report everything I'm told. I don't report everything I see. So you're dealing with the same stuff everyone else is dealing with. It's just, it's the only thing that's really unique about it is that you actually fly on the plane with the team and you're in the team hotel. That's probably the only thing that's unique about it, would you say? I think so. I hope so. I want to be regarded the same way all the other reporters are. I guess that's all I have to say about that, yeah. <laughs> um, so you ended up, you moved to the Bay um, for a relationship, right? Yeah, and he's my husband now. Luckily. My husband! It props to you for that working out. I actually moved to the Bay for a relationship that did not work out. I'm sorry, man. But it worked out in other ways, so it's all good. But, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, so I respect, you know, moving for someone. Um, what went into that decision and, and what... You know, what was the time period like right before you got this opportunity? All right. So I had finished up at SNY. Um, it's the Mets network, but I covered everything. All sports. Nine pro sports teams there I covered. Uh, my contract was up. Worked there for five years. Um, that was an NBC station, like a regional. So that helped me cover the Olympics in Rio. I covered basketball. So that was time in the number one market. Then I covered what I see as the pinnacle of sports, the Olympics. I was like, you know what? If this is my career, I'm good. I'm, if it's time to leave, I'm good. And I wanted to restack my priorities, so I was picking the personal over the professional. I met somebody who I would do that for, and I was like, it's time. So I followed him out to the Bay Area. His name's David. I talked to people at Pac-12 Network, and I talked to people at where I work now. Um, they're like, hey, we like you, but we don't really have anything. So I got a few freelance things here and there, but for about eight months, it was tough. I was living off savings. I'm just wondering. There was never a question, did I make the right decision because I'm happy in my personal life? But professionally, it was starting to dawn on me, this is it. Yeah. It's done. Or sports is done with you because there were a lot of layoffs happening at that same time. And I thought, okay, I think this is it. The gamble that I took, you know, it, it happened. I need to start working on my plan B. Um, so I, I wrote about that struggle, that feeling of like the thing that I've wanted since fourth grade to be a reporter is probably coming to an end. And the, the heartache I had over that, some of the depression, some of the things connected to my identity of doing for some, something so long and wondering if that was completely over. And when I wrote that, I had just started a job at Whole Foods in my neighborhood, which is cool, pay yeah. the bills, because I was sort of like, I don't know how much longer I could hold on to my sports dream, so I need to have something steady. Whole Foods was awesome, and you get a good discount. Yeah. So, um, it was great. Um, but the thing that I wrote where I just laid bare how I was feeling and wondering about a changing industry and whether sports was done with me, somebody at a PR company saw that. They're like, hey, you're a good writer. That was really flattering. Why don't you come work for us? So I did that for about four months. And then NBC Sports Bay Area came calling. And this came back to something that I had done for them months ago when Roz was covering the NCAA tournament. 
she was doing the college thing for a little bit. They're like, hey, would you want to fill in on a few games? I was like, yes, yes, absolutely, yes. So that was in March, obviously. And then I didn't hear from them until late August or September. I think there was a question about whether Rouse was going to come back or what would develop for her. So there was a lot of waiting and wondering, and I had forgotten about filling in. And then they called me in for an interview, and I got the job. So it was a roller coaster of about, uh, you know, moving across the country, wondering what my future would be, making other plans, and then bam, yeah, I was back to my dream. Yeah, life life happens like that sometimes. Um, do you do, playing the what if game real quick? Do you think had this opportunity not come along, you would be in PR? Do you think you would have pursued a career in PR? Yes, yes. Which which was fine, which was nice. I liked the place that I worked. It was in Los Gatos. Nice people. They spent a lot of time training me, coaching me up. I'm really appreciative for that. And I remember that conversation with the woman who hired me and how bad I felt for the investment that she put in me. But how do you turn down the best sideline job in the country yeah. with the best team in the NBA? Yeah. So there was um, maybe like a night of a, you know discomfort, <laughs> and I got over it. <laughs> yeah, I know, I'm sure they were understanding. She was. I really appreciate that. Um, because I mean, if they hired you, they hired you partly because of what you wrote and you explained your entire situation. So it wasn't like they, yeah, you know, were this came out of left field, right? I mean, she asked me in the interview, "Do you see yourself going back to sports?" And my honest answer was no, because yeah. what are the jobs? Who would have thought the best job would ever open up, and then that I would be in the running for it, and then I would get it? There were so many ifs. I, I know a couple of the names who interviewed for the job, and it's like, wow, this is very flattering that I got this so um, and that was a hard thing to walk back on like hey actually yeah. there is one sports job out there for me I gotta take it um, but she, in the end she understood I'm a firm believer that things tend to work out you know if you work hard and you put out the right energy and you you, you do everything you can to, to get where you want to go sometimes things will end up working out better than you personally ever thought they would. I mean, on a smaller scale for me, like I moved to the Bay for largely for a relationship. Also, I knew it was a career, good career decision. I'd covered Oregon State for the Oregonian in Portland, came down, took the Cal beat at the San Francisco Chronicle, hoping maybe someday I'll get a pro beat. I'd always wanted to be an NBA writer, um, but I, I didn't think that Warriors beat was going to come along anytime soon. Uh, but then 11 months into the Cal beat, the Warriors beat came open and I got it. And like, you know, I never could have foreseen that either, but sometimes just things work out. Sometimes you're in the right place at the right time. So I can, I can totally relate to that feeling. Some of it is luck. Can we just be honest with yeah. ourselves? Right place, right time. My husband say, my, says that you, you make your own luck, which some of that I see, but some of it I just put out into the universe I don't know. It's is true it like, to an extent. Is it, is it wishy-washy to say, like, going back to my dream that I've wanted this since fourth grade? I look at things that have happened in my life and in my career that have no doubt steered me in this direction that I didn't understand until looking back on it. So I know I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing, and I love it so much. That's that's the dream right there. That's that's uh, if, if we could all say that, the world would be a better place. But uh, no, I, I, it's an interesting 
point that your husband brings up because I hear that all the time too. But I think that's true to an extent. I think you need to put yourself in a position to get lucky. But I also know a lot of people who have done that, who haven't gotten lucky. And you look at you look at everyone in our industry who is at a certain level in their career, who's kind of reached a certain point in their career. Every single one of those people has gotten lucky. And I'm not saying they're not talented. A lot, all these people are talented. They work hard, but if you look at their careers, they had some big break at some point, either whether it was whether or not it was fresh out of college or a few years removed from college or whatever. Everyone had a big opportunity that you can characterize as somewhat lucky. Um, I characterize my situation of getting this beat being, you know, in the position I was in as getting lucky. Now, did I work hard on the Calvi? Did I, you know, put myself in a position for my bosses to feel like I could handle it? Yes. But just the fact that I was in that position, in my opinion, is lucky, you know? I think so. I, I know the work that we've done to be in this position. I also wonder if there are people listening to this feeling a little frustrated knowing how hard they work. There are a lot of faces in sports or media at large that look the same. There are underrepresented people who are working their tails off who don't have the same opportunity. So I just I just want to take this moment to be cautious. And yeah. if anyone needs help, please reach out to Connor and me. Really, we'll do everything we can. For sure, for sure. And kind of piggybacking on that, there are a lot of times where, you know, we'll be at, especially on the road, we'll be at, you know, a pregame availability or a shoot around or a practice availability and you'll be the only woman in the scrum. Uh, what's, I guess just, what's that like? You know, I mean, I mean, being, knowing that you're the only, I I don't want to say representative, but you're the only person from your gender in this, in these scrums a lot of the time. Does, do you feel that? Or is it just something you don't really worry about? Or how, how, how would you just explain that role in your mind? It's, it's all of the things you just described. It's not something I worry about, but it is something I'm aware of. Like when we walk into practice, I'll sort of scan the room and it's just like, oh, I'm outnumbered. But does that always make me uncomfortable? No, it's just the awareness itself, I suppose. And it's gotten a lot better. There, there are more women in the room. So it's the awareness. That's what I kind of want to land on. There are some misconceptions or some attitudes that are stupid that aren't really even worth, I don't know, getting into. But day to day, I'm not aware of my gender when I'm on the job. And the Warriors are very good about having um, a good environment for that kind of stuff. So it takes a lot for me to get upset about something. I think I just did a mailbag question about this. Somebody asked the same thing. And I'm like, only 5% of the time am I furious. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. I think that's pretty good. Yeah, uh, that, that's a good ratio. I, I tell people a lot of time, like 85 to 90% of the time, this job doesn't feel like work. But then that 10% of the time, it really feels like work. It really feels like a grind. But 90 to 10, that's a pretty good ratio. I mean, I feel like most people probably feel like, you know, the, the work side is a little bit higher percentage, right? The work side is good. I'm talking about being furious right, about sexism. Right. No, I know. <laughs> Something rears I'm, I was just kind of <laughs> trying to relate to you in my own way. Well, thank but. you. That's nice. Your <laughs> empathy is good. Um, no, it's it's really it's really great. I, I I don't know what else to say there. I'm very happy. No, that's great. Um, and the the thing that you did get to cover earlier in your career was UConn women's basketball, which. I've actually kind of become a fan of, I haven't told you this really, but I've kind of been following UConn women's basketball close, more closely because uh, I have a tough time watching 
men's college basketball just because it's like kind of a watered down version of the NBA in my opinion. It's like they're athletic, but they're not as athletic as the NBA players. And it's like I'm either going to watch the NBA or I'm not going to watch men's basketball. And my, this is just my personal opinion. But I like watching women's basketball because there's so much finesse. They're so skilled at what they do. They're really good shooters. Like, if you want to watch some really good shooting, watch the WNBA. Um, there's a lot of elite-level shooters in that league. Um, what do you think about the, the state of the WNBA right now? And do you think that there's anything that the WNBA can do to make itself a little bit more marketable in, in, in publicly? Wow, that's a big question. First of all, I'm glad you're watching women's college basketball. Cause, and I like the, that you use the word finesse. Because if you want the game of basketball and the fundamentals, you will see some, some like, the, the highest level teams are playing the most beautiful basketball. It's cool. And some people will be like, well, a layup isn't as beautiful as a dunk. But I don't, I don't know. Watch the game. And you'll find that college men's college basketball players watch their women's teams and support them and then the WNBA players support the W the NBA players support the yeah. WNBA players like Kyrie Irving loves Sue Bird yeah Kevin Durant loves Brianna Stewart and it's like real recognized real basketball players have no problem supporting other basketball players I think it's a fan conversation like this is not a good product whatever right. did you want to say something no I, just, no, no I just wanted to say that I actually started paying attention to it because of uh, a conversation I had like my first year on the beat with Draymond Green Yeah. because um, Draymond was talking about that exact thing and how he doesn't really like watching the NBA in his free time and he'll watch UConn or the WNBA and that's kind of what got me interested in at least trying to pay attention to it. Um, because I, I, you're probably the same way. I get home at night and I can't watch another NBA game. I'm just like burned out on it. I can't watch Sports Center because the Warriors dominate Sports Center. Like that was the day I just had. So I'm good. You know, I want to watch, but I do love sports. I want to watch something else. Yeah. The WNBA is a young league. And I was trying to follow the conversations about the way that the women want to be paid. And nobody is asking for LeBron contracts. They're asking for equality in scale. Right. If, the, if the NBA players get, what is it, 20% of revenue, right. the WNBA wants 20% of revenue. So it's all in scale. And I was reading column after column, some of them coming from a guy in, in Seattle. So the Storm just won the championship. And he's like, no, I'm sorry. Do you really understand what you're asking for? And it's just patronizing and condescending. And I'm looking at all the, the pretzel twists some folks are turning themselves into to say women don't deserve the same things as men. And that's very frustrating. So I hope, I think the, aren't the women going to, they're going to hold out next year. Or they want to negotiate this. Yeah. They, and then they have, a, they have a leg to stand on to do it. They're they kind of really, following uh, the women's national team, the women's soccer national team. They feel empowered to do that. I hope, and I, I see a lot of sympathetic folks who understand what they're asking for. And I hope, I hope the NBA and Adam Silver come around. There's lip service about support and equality, and then there's doing support and equality. And I hope the right thing happens. Yeah, it's it's uh it's I'll be following that closely. I think that's really interesting. Um, I did a story like I want to say a month ago, maybe two months ago, on uh. Clay Thompson and how he's kind of become the best quote in the NBA 
without really trying and it's kind of funny because this is a guy who openly deals with shyness and he just i i think he's just unintentionally hilarious and in doing research on for that story i came across probably two dozen clips of you and clay over your two years on the beat and i had seen a lot of them before but i mean it feels like every single time that you talk to clay he gives you something that goes viral um my favorite example is probably, I think it was the Kings game earlier this season. Yeah, where you uh, entering halftime and, and you pulled him aside and he just basically gave you a completely incoherent answer that made absolutely <laughs> zero sense of Bob Fitzgerald. You just kind of laughed and Bob Fitzgerald was like, I think he wants to get to the locker room. Um, how, do you, how do you handle moments like that where you probably don't, I don't know, do you have an awareness in that moment that this is going to go viral? No, no. It's the moments afterward where Twitter's lighting up and I'm like, oh, crap, there's another one. And Clay is so good with those. And I think, how do you even describe Clay? He's somebody that I've tried to figure out and I still don't know if I have him figured out. We can get into that. Um, But he's ultimately he's very truthful, which I like. Like he he, he'll give it to you straight. I really appreciate that. That Kings game, I don't think he quite heard what my question was. They were coming off a game where the three-point shooting was bad, and in that Kings first half, they had it going. So I was asking him, like, what was the energy, what was the flow that, you know, helped you guys find the three ball. I don't know if he heard me, so he just, like, word-souped his answer. And I don't know if the microphone picked it up, but afterward he walked away and he was like, that was easy. So he was proud of his answer, even though what the heck was that answer. Um, That's not something that I take personal people have asked me like are you mad or like weirded out when that happens no not at all like that's clay that's that's clay and and he's he's so good-natured and he's so honest about things that i'm not you know if we go viral we go viral but it's because of him it's nothing to do with me right right it's all clay no i i mean i i tell people all the time i low-key think he's probably the most fascinating player on this team which people are like really he's like from a rich background he didn't really experience any adversity i'm like but he's such a unique person and the longer i'm on this beat the more i appreciate just how unique clay is and in his own way steph is i think people look at steph and they're like you didn't go through any university you're kind of boring like you you never get in trouble you're a, a good family man you have three kids you married your high school sweetheart or middle school sweetheart and my thing is, I think that's interesting because that's really rare. Yeah. How many people do you know that are as famous as Steph Curry who have literally zero dirty laundry? Yeah. He's, he's, <laughs> no, and I always tell people he, he, it, what you see is what you get with him. He really treats every single person the same. This is where I do see stuff behind the scenes. I see who approaches him. It's kids. It's adults. It's everybody. He is like a rock star. He gives a moment to everyone. It's honestly a genuine moment. I don't know how he has the mental bandwidth to do this all the time, but he's kind and he's sweet to everyone. He's also very funny and he's in on all the team jokes. Some of those jokes are a little risque, but he is one of the boys. So he's squeaky clean and he's a leader. Like he's all of these things, which I think is very impressive. I don't know how he does it. Yeah. And you know, he, I remember when I first got on the beat, I'd been on the beat a couple of weeks. I don't even think the season started yet. And I, uh, and I, uh, 
I hadn't even gotten a chance to really formally introduce myself to him. And he came up to me and he was like, what's up, Connor? And I just remember kind of being taken aback. Like, how does Steph Curry know my name? And, you know, with a lot of people in that situation, I might think, wow, is this person just a smoozer? Like, do they just, you know, is there some false pretense here? But with him, it's like, it's completely genuine. Which is, uh, like I said, I think it's unique and impressive. And I think it's part of why he is who he is, you know? Yeah, he told me happy belated birthday the other day. And I was like, how the hell did you know that? Like, that's really nice. Like, thank you, Steph. I didn't even know that. Yeah, it's like, Steph, thank you. So he's he's paying attention to Steph and he, he cares, which is really cool. Because he has a life that could keep him you know, tunnel focus on everything he has going on. And he has so much going on. His whole family does. Um, but he really takes time with people. He, um, he, he did a, like a shocking moment with me too. When I first came on, like the first practice I was at, he's like, Hey, Hey, it's nice to meet you. Congratulations on your new job. And I'm stuttering in front of Steph Curry, like our first interaction. Thank you. It's sort of like, okay, that was really nice. And it felt good going forward that he, he knows who you are. He's, he's welcoming you. That was a really nice experience. Yeah. Um, so before I let you go, I got to ask you a little bit about the season because um, we've talked about everything else. Uh, it's been an interesting season. Yeah. There's a, I, I tell everyone last season, the lack of a better adjective, it just felt kind of boring. There just, you know, felt like we were all just kind of waiting for the playoffs the entire regular season. But this season, there's been no shortage of things to talk about, write about, um, you know, what what have you thought of just all the I don't want to say adversity because it hasn't just been adversity I guess just all the drama that's gone on this season and do you think the Warriors are going to be able to kind of you know get their mind right when it matters most and and you know take home another championship I think they'll be able to come together in the playoffs and I don't want to say come together like they're not cohesive now but you do see the difference between regular season Warriors and postseason Warriors. And I I don't know how much tension or conflict or whatever is in the locker room. I actually don't think it's that much, to be honest. I think we saw something happen in public that maybe happens in the locker room all the time. It was just that it was a public moment. So I I don't know. I, I think when you hear the players talk about the brotherhood they have, so if it is like family and you get agitated with your family, like I, I understand if they're little spats. Okay, I understand. But when you have a goal to three-peat, when you know the talent on your roster and this moment in time, I really feel like they're going to put it all together for what could be a historical playoff run. Because I feel like they have to seize this moment. I feel like they know that. This goes back to Clay being the truth serum, saying at the start of the season, at practices, whatever, like we have a chance to three-peat. That's the singular goal. That's going to trump everything. That's going to be the most important thing. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think kind of just piggybacking off of what you were saying, I think people think there's all, you know, with something like that, that argument between Durant and Green happens, sure, it's a minor issue, maybe the day, maybe the day after for the team. But what's a much bigger issue is how we react to it, as how the public and the media magnifies it and it becomes a big national story and keeps at we keep asking all these questions and it makes it impossible for them to fully move on because they have to keep dealing with it and we've seen that more recently with Durant and the and the you know trade talk all the speculation or sorry not free agency talk about uh you know him potentially going to 
the Knicks with Kyrie this summer, and here we are. That was February 8th when he had that press conference, and it doesn't seem like he's over it. And here we are, you know, a few weeks removed, and I can't say I blame him because it's still a talking point, and it's still, it's still, you know, it's, it's still something that's in the news. So, can you kind of understand? where Durant's coming from right now and and why he is feeling what he's feeling? Yes. I wonder if he's feeling like everything is one-way traffic where we need things from him. He doesn't need anything from us. So there's an awareness of of that power that that Katie has. And to his credit, he's great with media. He's always willing to take questions, even some of the clunky ones. You know what I mean? Like he really is a media good guy. But if he's reached his limit on some of these free agent questions, and I also want to be clear, this is where I'm going to stick up for local media. We're not the ones asking him that stuff every day. This is not an everyday question that he faces. Um, I think he revealed how uncomfortable he is with it, or maybe unintentionally he revealed how much it's on his, his mind. Or I think it's the consumption of stories, the, the peripheral proliferation of stories the way that things are consumed now um social media adds to this there's a fun side of it like nba twitter is awesome but just the the cameras everywhere i'm trying to understand or trying to relate to how that must must feel and i'm a media member myself with cameras you know every day so i always want to understand where he's coming from and try to anticipate how he's feeling he is one of the best players in the league. Curiosity about him will always be there. I guess he's up. It's up to him to how he wants to handle it. I, I, yeah. I, I don't know. I keep going. I go back and forth on so many things here. Like, I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and say that he couldn't have handled things better. He could have. But I'm, I always try. To, like, like you just said, I try to see things. I try to put myself in that person's shoes. And everyone looks at him and they say, "Why are you so sensitive? You know, you have." The, you have the world in the palm of your hands. Why are you getting upset about this? But what you need to understand is on a basic level, these athletes are human beings and they have basic personality traits that all of us as human beings have. And his personality traits that are making him upset right now are the same personality traits that are making him a great basketball player because he's hypersensitive and that, you know, he reads everything that's written about him. He listens to the podcast that where people are talking about him. And guess who, you know, probably would also be doing that if he were in the social media age? Michael Jordan, you know, <laughs> uh, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, all those greats were hypersensitive. Kobe Bryant, Kobe Bryant took, had a lot of beef <laughs> with media members over the course of his career. Um, and they, few, and that, that, fuels them you know one moment that i keep going back to is when i first got on the beat and you know he his first season with the warriors like first week we're at a shoot around in new orleans and it's kind of ended media is kind of trickling back uh to their hotels and he's still on the court shooting he just starts yelling they say you're a coward you know he's just like he's he kind of he's yelling everything that he's seen on Twitter, and it was just the ultimate example of how much this stuff fuels. 
fuels him. And that's part of why I think we've seen him throughout all this. It has Not only has it not affected his play, but he's played some of the best basketball he's played since he's joined the Warriors. That's so interesting to hear. You're a coward! Or whatever he put on his shoes. He made shoes yeah. like that with stuff well, on the sole. Yeah, he's had uh, he's had commercials. I mean, yeah. he... Yeah. He, it's it's uh, it's gotten into every part of his brand at this point. Like you know, he'll, he'll he's worn the the cupcake hat and yeah. the snake hat <laughs> and the you know he it affects him on a very real level, on a personal level. I think so because he's human. Yeah. It is human nature to be curious about what people are saying about you. Because it's it's an affront when people get you wrong, right? I know how that feels. I see some of the stuff people say about me, and I'm like, what the hell, man? And it's not to any sort of degree that Kevin gets. Right. And then those comments, so many of them are negative. It's you're a snake, you're a this, you're a whatever. How can you see that time and time and time again and eventually not reach a breaking point where you, you do post something back? Human nature. He yep. is a human. I understand yeah. this. I wish he got a little bit more understanding in that regard. I like how he's responded to it with humor. I do understand the other side where people say, like, you're above all this, man. This should be, like, you don't need to bother yourself with this kind of stuff. But I do understand where he's, where he's coming from. You are curious about what other people think of you and their opinions of what you may or may not do. Maybe because he, he wants to know if he's understood. And I think there are ways in which he's not understood. Yeah. Sensitivity reminds me of the way that he's a philosopher. I, I use that word a lot when it comes to KD. He loves this game. He studies this game. I think he's very philosophical about the direction the game can go. But just as a person, he's philosophical too. There's a depth to KD that I don't know a lot of people He's hyper-intelligent. Yes, he is. But even having this conversation right now, people are going to say we're just kisses. But, but right. we are people close to him, and we see the side of him that maybe he tries to shield because he is sensitive. And I understand that sensitivity. Yeah, and let me just reiterate, I don't think he's handled this situation very well. Uh, and he knows that I've, I've written that, I've talked about that. We, you know, he and I have had conversations. But I'm just saying that I understand where he's coming from on a basic level. I guess my last question that I want to just before we leave is uh, if you had to give advice to an aspiring female journalist coming up in the field, you know, junior, senior in college right now, who wants to do what you do, who is watching Warriors broadcast and says, I want to be the next character Burke, because there probably are those people out there. Uh, what would you say to them? Well, the advice is not gender specific. It's um, study this game. I often get the question, did you play? I was like, nothing to speak of. I wasn't good enough for a scholarship. So how did I fill in the gaps of my knowledge? You have to study. Know what's going on in the NBA at large. And then just, this is so tough. It's like, work on your, work on your relationships. Talk to people without the expectation of getting something from them. So when that moment comes, when you do need something, they know who you are. I would say hone your voice by practicing writing. People see what I do on TV, but it helps to be a writer. So you can start a, a blog that nobody reads, but you put together facts of a, of a game, and then maybe you, you create a, make a small opinion about it. Hone how you write about that opinion, because inserting op opinion is something that you kind of need to do. It has to be educated opinion in sports now. Yeah, analysis. Yeah, so analysis, opinion. Be well read, read like five newspapers a day, know what's going on in other markets, 
there's I don't know there's I don't I don't know what young people are facing now my my resume tape was on a VHS <laughs> okay I mean you do though because you're you're in the you're in the field you know you, uh, you, I think you can speak to the challenges of the industry right now. yeah I, I hope so it's um, find what makes you different be true to yourself don't listen to what people say about your appearance like there was something like you should only wear your hair curly on the air it's like what are you talking you need to look and feel like your best make make yourself shine if you're comfortable then you come across as comfortable in interviews there you go I, I this is such a tough question because no. I'm not sure if I know how to answer it anymore no I think you gave a great answer and some of that stuff is stuff I went you know when I go speak to a college class or something that's some of the stuff I say and I obviously you know am a beat writer but what we do is really not that different from a relationship building standpoint you obviously write a lot I do a little tv a little radio so I think I think we're really not that different Kareth I really appreciate you coming on uh it was a great talk you went a little long but because we were just I was enjoying chatting with you but uh you know where where can the listener if for whatever reason they're silly enough to not be following you already uh where can they find all your stuff all right twitter at kareth work on instagram warriors kareth and then i write for nbc sports bay area occasionally please send me questions for the mailbag you can use the hashtag ask kareth after you uh, do my mailbag that's right all of us have mailbags just, <laughs> no, no, just send you do great yeah. mailbags and she was first by <laughs> the way you. i just piggybacked <laughs> on what she was doing so all right thanks kareth I want to thank Kareth for joining me on this week's podcast. Always great catching up with her and chatting Warriors. Warriors Off Court is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. Follow me on Twitter at con underscore cron and email me at cleturno at sfchronicle.com. Support Warriors Off Court and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.